0: I want to begin this morning with a profound statement, a a statement uh, that if you don't normally take notes, you might want to write down. This is a a, a statement that is just going to be profound, and after I say this, you may not hear another word I say. It'll just blow you off the tracks so bad, so well. Are you ready? Everybody set for this? profound statement. Chapter 10 of the book of John follows chapter nine. There you go. We can say a prayer and go home. Chapter 10 follows chapter nine. That is very profound and it really is because you cannot understand chapter 10, without chapter 9 being fully in view. Now, people read things into Scripture all the time. You know they do that. The lost man does it. The saved man does it. Preachers have been known from time to time to read into the Word something that's not there. In order to do that, in order to make the Scripture say what I really want it to say rather than what it does, one must first pull it out of its context. They must rend it violently from its setting in order to make it say what they want it to say. Uh, people do that to politicians, you know. They'll have a long speech and they'll take one little or two little sentences and it sounds like the man saying something he's not saying because you have ripped it up out of its context. Chapter 10 is vital to understand the characters and the parable that Jesus gives, but one must have in full view chapter 9, which teaches that Judaism as a religion had failed the Lord, as all religions ultimately do. A blind beggar was in the midst, and they did nothing for that blind beggar until Jesus came along. Gave the man sight. And what did these Pharisees do at this point? Did they revel in the man's sight being restored? Did they embrace the life of God as brought through Jesus Christ to their midst? Did they worship the Savior? They kicked the blind man out. And they accused Jesus of having a demon. Got the setting firmly in your grip? Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, verily, verily, and double emphatic, listen, listen, listen. Now, I might say that to you, and you might fall asleep. But when Jesus says, verily, verily, all ears propped. He says, I say unto you. Jesus, in that one small statement, has changed a dialogue into a monologue. Chapter 9, there's a dialogue between two, the Pharisees and Jesus, Jesus and the blind beggar who now has sight. There's a dialogue of two parties giving their input. Jesus ends the dialogue and says, Now it's time to be very quiet and listen to what I say. Most people don't listen because they never stop talking. Profound statement number two. <laughs> Jesus says, It's time for you to stop talking and to begin listening. And again, when Jesus says, I say unto you, he makes it, he didn't say, I'm going to say unto them, I say unto you. Now I'm going to read through a couple of verses and then we're going to go back and identify the yous and theys and thems and the stuff. Chapter 1, chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say unto you, He who does not enter in the sheepfold, he who does not enter in the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Okay, all right, so let's back up. When he says, I'm speaking unto you, he's referring directly to the Pharisees. Not the man who's given sight. He's referring to the religious leaders. Again, context, context, context. This cannot say something different to us than it said to them back then. Do you understand? So I say unto you, the reference is to the Pharisees and scribes on a broader spectrum, religious leaders. Those who... Lead in religions. Notice the sheepfold. What is the sheepfold? Well, it can't be heaven because thieves and robbers break into the sheepfold. So it's not heaven. It's not the church. Because in a minute, the good shepherd is going to lead his sheep out of the sheepfold. Jesus would never lead one of his sheep out of the church. He leads his sheep into his church. It's not the church. Well, what is the sheepfold that he refers to other than the Judaistic religion? It is the Jewish religion. On a broader spectrum, it is all religions, whether they be cults or whether they be quasi-Christian religions. That's the sheepfold. Notice in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There are three doors in chapter 10. You must keep them separate in your mind. If the sheepfold is the Jewish religion. The door is the legitimate entry into that religion. It is the rightful entry that only the the shepherd can go into. The thieves and robbers jump over the walls. The legitimate one comes through the door. Well, obviously, we're going to run to the Lord Jesus as the shepherd who has the right to walk in the door. This door is the legitimate claim that Jesus Christ has in our lives. It is his qualification as the shepherd and the only shepherd to lead us to God. He has the right, having won the right by his perfect, virtuous life, having qualified through his death, burial, and resurrection, payment for our sins, to show up at the door of the sheepfold, the door of religion, the door of our lives, and be allowed to come in. Let's go on. Verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens. Well, who is the gatekeeper? Well, well, Think about it. On a very local setting, who opened the gate for the ministry of Jesus Christ? What particular man in history swung the gate wide open as a forerunner of Jesus Christ? It is John the Baptist. But yea, more than John the Baptist. It is Elijah. It is Elijah. It is Isaiah. It is Ezekiel. It is Habakkuk. It is all the great Old Testament prophets that prophesied of Jesus Christ coming, who foretold how he would live, how he would minister, what he would do for us on that cross. These are the gate openers. And on a broader spectrum, it is the Holy Spirit himself opening the gate of the door. Notice... Who's in there? Verse 4. Verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. Well, Who are the sheep that hear his voice? The elect. The ones that have been called by him. Those who have responded to his. That tells me there's a lot of sheep within the sheepfold that aren't his sheep. Now, if you want to misinterpret this, well, that's the church. There's a lot of lost people. That's not what it's talking about at all. That's talking about in all the religions of the world. All humanity is sheep. But when he shows up at the door, notice in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice. They respond. Now, you you can't make anybody hear his voice. You can't do it. Only the gatekeeper can open the door and make him hear his voice. Only only the Lord can touch somebody's life. I know you got sheep in your life that you'd like them to respond to his voice and just pray for that. You can't do a thing about it. That's a work of God, not man. But notice the beautiful thing about the shepherd. He calls his own sheep and he calls them by name. There's nothing more precious to you than your name. Have somebody get it wrong and watch how fast you correct it. One little syllable in your name's wrong. No, 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 it's, it's this. Because our identity is wrapped up in our name. And he pronounces our name perfectly. Because he loves us and he knows us and he knows your name. As far as he's concerned, there's not another sheep on the planet other than you and him. Isn't that beautiful? He calls us by name and then, are you ready? He leads them out. He leads people out of religion unto himself. Yeah. How many of y'all have gotten saved out of some religion out there? Held in held in some kind of quasi-cult or cult, held in some kind of religion that told you to do a thousand things to be righteous, and he calls you out from that. Leave it. Now, the thing about the sheepfold, if you'll notice behind me, they were about a 10, 12-foot wall. Sometimes they put briars on top to try to keep the wolves and animals out. Um, uh, If you'll notice... Within the realm of the sheepfold, there's an element of protection. It's called a wall. And people feel comfortable within that protective wall. When the shepherd leads the sheep out, the walls are no longer. They're they're gone. Religion is very protective and very sheltering to people. They like the regulations and rules that religion gives them. It makes them feel like they're protected. When you're out there with Jesus alone, it's he is your only protection. His walls are down. You must trust him completely. The reason people don't leave the sheepfold to follow the shepherd is they refuse to trust him completely with their eternal soul. They'd rather put that trust in the hands of a man or a system or some kind of denomination instead of Jesus Christ alone. When, man, if you're a sheep, you're on the side of the hill, here comes a wolf, you've got no walls. You've got a shepherd. You better come to task. You've got to trust him completely, or you don't leave the sheepfold. Notice what it says a stranger, they will not follow. Sheep aren't entirely stupid. Now, I know you'll never find them in a circus performing tricks, but they're not dumb. They hear voices. They don't respond to a voice that's not their shepherd. Okay? We don't, we don't wander around bumping into trees. We, we know what's going on. For they do not know the voice of strangers. <laughs> now look at verse 6. I love this. Anytime Jesus gave these profound teachings, he just sent the whole religious community in this buzz of debate and conflict. Notice this, this figure of speech, this parable Jesus used with them, they did not understand what he was saying. So here they go. Misquoted. Misrepresented. And they just start this little frenzy going on within each other about, Oh, what did he say? I don't know what he said. What do you think he said? I think he said this. Notice Jesus has to stop the whole thing again in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Second reference to a door. The first door is the legitimate right he has to claim over our lives, pulling us out of whatever religion we're in. The second door, he says, I am the very door of the sheep themselves. They enter in. They have access. We'll talk about that in the the closing thing. But that's for us. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Thieves because they stole the glory that God deserves. Robbers because they took men's hearts when they should have pointed those hearts to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glory on me. Oh yeah, glory on God, but glory on me. All praise and listen to what I say rather than listen to what he says. Stealers, robbers, thieves. I am the door. Uh, third reference to a door a completely different door this is the door that says this if anybody enters in by me he shall be saved and notice he'll go in and out and find pasture this is the door of personal salvation to humanity that is in the sheepfold that can now come Notice he'll go in and out. He'll have freedom. Religion always puts a clamp on people, telling them what they can do and what they cannot do. It has always got the thumb on us. Christ has always given freedom. Freedom to be forgiven. Freedom to be restored. Freedom to be loved. Freedom to be cared for. Freedom to find pastures that are green. You know, uh, Philip Keller wrote a book years ago called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And in this book, Philip Keller says this, that sheep are notoriously uh, habitual in what they do. Just, they just, they get these habits. Uh, uh, left to themselves, they'll go down the same trail until it gets ruts, becomes a rut. They'll go out into the same pasture eating the same grass until that field is decimated in a desert. It is the job of the shepherd to move us along onto greener pastures. You know, the thing about greener pastures is it gets us out of our comfort zone of the same pasture. I just, I like my path, man. I like my pasture. And he just messes all that up. He says, okay, today we're going to a new place that you've never been before. Well, I don't want to go to a new pasture. Well, we're going anyway. You might as well get on the boat and just come on, man. Takes that rod and stab, just just leads us off into something greener. And that which we feared the most, that which we were scared half to death of, becomes one of the most greenest, most beautiful pastures that we ever eat at. And then we we eat that thing, and we almost nub it down to death. And he says, okay, let's move along to another place. (gasps) Let's finish the passage. Notice, he said, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if you listen very carefully to religious leaders and to religions, what they want to do is kill you. They want to work you to death. They want to destroy you. They want to heap guilt upon you. They want to keep you in a little box. You ever read the book The Crimson Letter? Yeah. You ever seen the movie The Crimson Letter? You should get it. Demi Moore played in it. And she was an adulterer. She she committed adultery. So her fine religious community painted an A and made her wear a big, bold, red A. And that which was supposed to be forgiving and loving and kind and gracious labeled poor Demi Moore. Labeled this poor woman with a scarlet letter. Christian. Christianity, true Christianity never labels and puts a number or letter on somebody for past failures or sin. It always sets us free. Notice it says, I came that they might have life and to have it more abundantly. Amen. <laughs> Let me give you three things and we'll be done. Jesus is the only door. For all humanity. He's it. He's the only door. He's the only one that qualifies. Joseph Smith cannot do it for you. Uh, Buddha cannot do it for you. Muhammad is just a man. And from history accounts. Not the most righteous man. All leaders of all religions. I don't care. Just name them are not legitimate shepherds for you. Before you hire somebody for a job, you better check their qualifications. You better make sure before you let somebody in your house to do any kind of work that you've got references, that people qualify. Or they'll make a mess of things. Only Jesus is a legitimate Savior. A church can't help you. No man can help you. No system of religion can help you. I read you the good words of Philip Keller in a book, another book he wrote, A Shepherd, which he was a shepherd, looks at the good shepherd. In it he writes this. We live in a world and society rife with those who hold and propagate false teachings, false philosophies, false idolatry, False theology, false concepts, false values, and a false standard of behavior. We are approached on every side by those who permeate our lives to pillage them if they would, if they could. Their aim is to exploit us. They would rob us of the rich benefits that could be ours of the sheep of God's pasture. On every side, Keller writes, we see people robbed. Robbed not necessarily of materialistic possessions, but of something much more enduring of assets of eternal worth and duration. The simple solution to this whole dilemma is to discover for ourselves that in truth, the only one who really has a right to manage the fold of my life is not myself. It's God. Good words. Only he, and not myself, is the door to all humanity. Number two, Jesus is our door of our rest and our growth. I was riding home Wednesday night. I don't know if you saw the moon that was out Wednesday night. It looked like a big basketball in the sky. It was big and full and beautiful. I think God gives us creation to remind us of things. That in the flux of life and the, and the things that happen that are beyond our control, in the crazy mess that we're living in, God is steady. Amen. I, w- I rode home and watched that moon along with the road. Most of the trip home. And you know, that moon never moved. It was steady. It was faithful. It never went anywhere. God is the rock of our lives. He is our rest and our... Are you resting? Is your life filled with stress and anxiety? You're not resting in the door. You can't say that you have great faith in God and then your life is filled with torment and turmoil. If we say we trust in the door of the rest, then we will be at rest. Uh, I, I was in the Navy for four years and only seasick once in all those four years. But I was told when I was seasick to do one thing. If the shore is available, look at the shore. Because when the waves are crashing and everything is crazy, that shore is steady and stable. And if you'll keep your eyes on that, all of a sudden you're not sick anymore. He is our door of our growth. And number three, he is the door of entrant and your deliverance of sin. If you don't know Christ today, you are in a condition of sinfulness before God, and he is the door that delivers true deliverance. Uh, We ate at one of my favorite sushi restaurants last night out in Fleming Island, and as I passed by to go out and get Karen a jacket, I noticed a large fish in the aquarium like that. It struck me funny that they'd have a large fish in an aquarium at a sushi restaurant. I asked Karen on the way back out, do you, I said, do you think that fish has reason to be nervous? She said, absolutely. <laughs> you're swimming one minute, man, you're going to be sushi the next if they run out of fish. That's the condition of all lost humanity. They're a fish in an aquarium they can't get out of and they're in a sushi restaurant and there stands the cook with the knife. And they're just swimming around enjoying their little, their little little, tank until the shepherd comes and calls. And then that fish that was in the aquarium, listen carefully, that fish that used to be at, in the jeopardy of the sushi chef is now let go in the streams of life where he can be free. That's Christianity. That's the abundant life.